Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Spring is my favorite time to start a new workout routine. With the weather warming up, it feels easier to get into the rhythm of things. Whether you have 20 minutes or an hour for a Pilates class or outdoor guided walk, Peloton has everything you need to help you get going. Get a head start on summer with Peloton at OnePeloton.com. This podcast contains discussions of child abuse, sexual repression and sexual abuse, suicide, racism, misogyny, PTSD and PTSD symptoms, and spiritual oppression and abuse including guilt, shame, and fear. In most episodes, we will be mentioning some of these concepts in a general way without any graphic detail. If any of these topics or other triggering topics will be mentioned in great detail, we will let you know at the beginning of each individual episode, as well as in the show notes for that episode. Welcome back to the Leaving Eden podcast. My name is Gabrielle Hakoen, and I am here with my co-host. Hi, I'm Sadie Carpenter, and dinosaurs are definitely real. As I believe that we have established previously. Yes, but also uh, bananas might or might not have dead spiders in them. I'm kind of confused. Uh, what? I'll tell you about it in this episode. Nobody told me specifically that bananas do have dead spiders in them but i misunderstood a long-winded creation seminar that i saw as a kid and the result of that is that i won't eat the little black dot part on the end of a banana because i still can't get over it okay well i also still don't eat the black dot on the end of the banana because i thought it looked kind of unappetizing but that's i thought it was a spider (laughs) butt but um really apparently yeah apparently may not actually be um uh, Apparently, misinformation is easy to get from creation seminars. Okay, well, if that's a bit of a preview for what we've got today, uh, we'll, we'll get that into that. That is probably and, the yeah. least wild thing that we will discuss today. Oh, this this is going to be just... Buckle yourselves in, everybody. This is like the Tower of Terror of... Um, <laughs> you know that ride, is that at Disney? That's at Disneyland, that's right? At, yeah, Universal. It, no, that's at... um. Oh, I've never been to the one in California. 
I've only been to Disney World in Florida. But anyway, the Leaving Eden podcast is the podcast about Sadie Carpenter's life in and escape from her upbringing in the independent fundamental Baptist cult that she was raised in. Talk about this cult. We talk about other cults, religion, fundamentalism in general. Uh, We seek to promote freedom of mind, freedom of thought, and freedom of religion because these ideologies are very dangerous. So if you like this show, you are a fan of the show, what you can do, you can uh, follow us on our social media, Facebook, Instagram, and and Twitter. You can go to our Facebook group, which is facebook.com slash groups slash Eden Exodus. You can go to our subreddit, which is reddit.com slash r slash Eden Exodus. You will find in both of those places a great community of fans, of listeners. Yeah, and you can join our Patreon, and our Patreon is patreon.com slash leaving Eden podcast, and there you will find extended and uncensored episodes yeah and i'm i'm hoping to have a pretty cool announcement about the patreon ready to announce by the next episode if not then it'll be in the next couple you guys hear that the announcement is coming (laughs) well see when i say something's coming i actually do it (laughs) yeah the word soon has a bit of a a, is open to interpretation (laughs) yes but anyway, there's a story behind this episode. So you guys remember a month ago, uh, we did a homework episode where Sadie watched some episodes of The Magic School Bus, which was fun. It was fun. Yeah. At the end, she told me that she was assigning me some homework. And so she sent me a video, which was a seminar from uh, this man, Dr. Kent Hovind. Is he a doctor? This guy, Kent Hovind. Is he a doctor? He has doctor in front of his name. He do- those are two different questions. He, yes, he does put the le- the letters D-R in front of his name. He calls himself a doctor. Yeah. Um, and so does Patriot University, which is a diploma mill in Colorado, according mm. to the wiki page. According to if Wikipedia says that you're a diploma mill. I mean, that's Patriot yeah, University. That's what did they? Uh, that definitely sounds like a real place that actually exists. Uh, it does exist. Do you think they give me a doctorate? I, I mean, mean, what do you want a doctorate in? I could be the uh, doctor of style, a certificate of chutzpah, top nice. of my class in the subject of class. You get me? Well, I, I get you. I get you. I checked the um, the Patriot University website, and in. 2021 if you are willing to give them 2219 american dollars they will give you i'm sorry you can earn is there a 99 on the end or a 95 on the end no whole dollar amounts wow so this is a legitimate institution very much (laughs) no the the 2219 dollars um includes all miscellaneous fees including like the dissertation fee the graduation fee it's so convenient because unlike most colleges which make you pay by credit or by semester patriot university lets you just pay it all up front Mm. which i think is just such a convenience accommodation for their customers sorry students but then you can earn this this unaccredited doctorate degree but it's only don't worry don't worry it's only unaccredited because they choose not to be accredited accreditation can obviously not limit the depths of knowledge that is provided at patriot university patriot university independent fundamental baptist correspondence school in Mm -hmm. del norte colorado uh, yep. just, yeah, just to let our listeners know, uh, there is going to be more on this university in the second part of this episode that's coming out next week. But we got to get into it. We got to get so, into this guy, Kent. <laughs> so, Gavi, why don't you tell us what kind of doctor this university turns out? 
what might someone who has a doctorate of education from Patriot University have to say? So having watched this video, at the beginning he is introduced as as a uh as a cryptozoologist. Oh, yes. yes. He's uh, extremely into cryptozoology. So cryptozoology, of course, is the study of and or search for animals whose existence is disputed, according to the internet. Yeah, I had to Google that one. Um, and the reason why I'd heard that term before, you know, this is what people who go out hunting for Bigfoot call themselves. Right. Um, I'd heard this term before from an episode of How I Met Your Mother. Right. Because uh, yeah. Marshall is super <laughs> into Bigfoot. To, yeah. He wanted to okay. go out Yeah, on a on an expedition to find Bigfoot. Sadie sent me this video of this man giving a seminar at Hiles Anderson College and we were going to do it as a homework episode. We were legit going to do this as a homework episode, but this video, this, I don't like how, I don't even know how to describe this video. It was just so beyond the pale. I just got like, I got about halfway through it and I wrote to you and I said, I can't do a homework episode on this. Like we have to do like a full regular episode on this. It's just too nuts. And then she started telling me about Kent himself and we had oh, I'm just like, no, this has to be a two part episode like we like this. Th there is just so much here that this is there's so much wrong here that we need to like talk about this. So I don't want to give away any spoilers for part two, but Kent Hovind's uh, doctoral dissertation, as we're going to call it, is on the <laughs> Internet. It is unbelievably chaotic. We're going to talk about that in part two. I fully expect these episodes to be crazier than the Ponzi scheme episode and the Paul Sand episode put together. So yeah. And prepare for, yourself. for our <laughs> listeners, um, I know that there are some of you who, uh, hopefully all of you, but I know there are some people who especially enjoy the, the, the friendship and how we relate to each other. If you'd like a peek into that, I would like to let you know that in our notes for this episode or in our outline, every time the word doctor is used, it's in scare quotes. Every time the word dissertation is used, it's in scare quotes. Um, and and also university tends to be in scare quotes. Yes. Just, just so you just if you want to peek into <laughs> how we how we how we deal with the topics that we deal with on this show. It's a lot of it's a lot of scare quotes. Yeah. If I see the word, I'm just going to like look at it and say it. But if I see it like with quotes, that's going to remind me I need to put it's some sauce remind on this one. <laughs> So, um, so these seminars, these creation science seminars, um, oh, creation and science also in scare quotes. Mm. Um, these are something that Kent Hovind would do, uh, through the, from, from the late eighties until the mid two thousands, as best as I can tell. And we're going to get into why he stopped we're, in part two. We're going to get into why he started, <laughs> why he stopped, um, and why there are no actual records of when he did or did not do these seminars. Mm. Well, according to him, he said he gave 800 talks a year. D is that what he said in his lawsuit? In his video, he says, oh, I give about 800 talks a year. That's a lot. That's like three a day. That, almost yeah like wow okay um mm. <laughs> i did i missed that wow okay so he would travel around giving these talks though and from what i'm gathering from his videos and from different articles i've read he would give talks at churches at christian schools uh he would also visit public colleges and universities to give talks um 
pretty much anyone who would who would sit down and listen to him. So how I want to structure this is let's talk about the video first and let's focus on uh, the the video and what he says in the video. Because like you said, there's just too much information to get into who he is and his other projects in mm. this episode. Let's jump into this video. Uh, and then on the next episode, we will talk about more of his personal life and wackiness. So this video is part three of his seminar. The seminar is called the Kent Hovind Creation Seminar. And this particular segment, part three, is called Dinosaurs and the Bible. So when you were growing up in the IFB, would these seminars be something that you would go to? No, I never attended a, a Kent Hovind seminar particularly. Uh, I did meet Dr. Dino in person. That's his name, Dr. Dino. Yeah, that, that's what he, that's how he styles himself. Yes. His website is drdino.com. Yes. Which, <laughs> um, I, oh, I, that's a correction I need to make. I mistakenly referred to him as Dino Don in an earlier episode. This is who I was talking about. I just misremembered what he called himself. So that's who Dino Don is apparently something else. It's apparently a, a worldly evolutionist TV show for children. I did meet Kent Hovind, Dr. Dino, in person, um, which was a trip. I encountered these seminars, though, not through knowing him, but in video form in school. Uh, my school had a whole week. So this was when I was just a little kid. This was the school, um, the Christian school I went to when I lived in Iowa. Uh, so I would have been like seven. And I don't remember if they replaced chapel for a week with these videos or if they just like took an hour out of the school day for us all to watch these videos. It was an ACE school, so it didn't matter if you took an hour out of the day. What I remember is in school, we watched these videos over a week or so. The whole school watched them together. Really? Yeah. Okay. So this was like part of your education. Officially. Wow. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, my God. That's <laughs> having watched the video. The fact that this was part of your education just makes my head hurt. Um, uh, I'm tr <laughs> I like I know everything that you said about the the IFB has been. But just like having seen this video, just imagining showing this video to children and saying like, this is. This well, not just showing it to children, but showing it to children as this is the correct thing. Like, this is it. I think that is potentially a, a different level of disturbing. It's not just like, oh, my kid is seeing this thing, but it's my kid is seeing this thing with the full backing of their school. Yeah. So this seminar has a basic theme. One, the Bible is 100% correct. Two, scientists are all idiots. Three, he has a theory that he's not saying it's true, but it's a theory, and he's got some blurry pictures to support it. Yes. I do want to interject about point two, uh, which is scientists are all idiots. The disdain that this man shows for scientists is really exceptional. Oh, God. Oh, this. So this man's self-righteousness and this man's smugness is off the f***ing charts. If he were an atheist, right, if he were an atheist, I swear this man would have a flying spaghetti monster magnet on the back of a Prius and that he would listen to nothing but R.E.M. and Husker do. Like he, he'd probably wear like a flat cap and a vest. That's the kind of guy that I'm like, that's the level of self-righteousness and smugness that we're talking about here. So the video that I had you watch is about two hours long. And what I would like to know is, do you think it could have been a tight like 50 to 60 minutes if he had completely cut out 
all of the that totally happened stories about how he totally owned the evolutionists. A of all, it was two hours and 20 minutes long. It was like as long as Sheffy. And second, if he didn't have straw men to fight, then he's just a crazy guy with a PowerPoint and saying that dragons are real and that the Turkish government is keeping us from finding Noah's Ark. I was thinking we should play a clip to illustrate how this guy talks about scientists. Yeah, why don't we? Okay. Um, yeah, why don't we play a clip of this video just an ex- as an example and like take this apart a little bit. All right, let's do that. That's the evolution theory. I didn't make it up. But they did. So, you know, you can laugh at them if you like, as far as I'm concerned. But Now, I, they asked me to come speak at this college in Boston one time. This uh, pastor I was going to speak at the church, I said, Brother, call some of the colleges and see if you can have a debate. I love to do debates against these guys in front of their own university. Well, he called every college within 100 miles of Boston. A lot of them, there's a lot of colleges around Boston. And finally, one college said, no, we don't want him to come have a debate, but he can come speak to our students if our professors can ask him any questions they would like. Because we would like to show our students how dumb you Christians really are. I said, I would be honored to come for that. <laughs> so I showed up. There were six professors, all their students. I felt like Daniel in the lion's den, you know. I got my two timelines out over there, and I said, Now, folks, I believe the Bible. Nobody cheered. I said, I believe 6,000 years ago God made everything, and 4,400 years ago there was a flood when, you know, everything got destroyed in the, in the flood. And then Noah had two of each kind, not species, kind on the ark. Now, since then, there's been a whole lot of new varieties produced. And then I told them what they believe, because most of them don't know what they believe. You've got to tell them, you know. I said, you guys believe 20 billion years ago, Big Bang, 4.6 billion years ago, the earth cooled down, it rained on the rocks for millions of years, turned them into soup, and the soup came alive 3 billion years ago. This one professor was getting very angry. <clears throat> I seemed to do that to them. <clears throat> he said, Mr. Hoven, you realize there are nearly 400 varieties of dogs in the world today? I said, sir, I have no idea how many, but 400 sounds good. He said, do you mean to tell me that you believe all those dogs came from two dogs on Noah's Ark? You want me to believe that? I said, sir, uh, would you look at what you're teaching your students? You're teaching your students that all those dogs came from a rock. <laughs> he didn't have any more questions after that. I did a debate one time in university, and afterwards this lady came walking down the aisle. Boy, she was mad. The smoke was coming out her nose. She was angry at me. She came walking straight up toward me. I said, Lord, I'm coming home. (laughs) She walked up, put her hands on her hips, and she said, Tonight, you told everybody that we believe we come from a rock. We do not believe that. I said, ma'am, you need to calm down. You're going to blow a gasket. I said, ma'am, do you believe in evolution? She said, yes, I do. I'm a professor here at the university. I said, well, ma'am, would you please tell me then where we came from? She said, we came from a macro molecule. I said, and where did that come from? She said, from the oceans, from the prebiotic soup. I said, and where did that come from? She said, it rained on the rocks for millions of years. You could see it was slowly dawning on her. You know, I do believe I come from a rock. <laughs> yes, ma'am, you do. Better be careful going outside. Don't step on Grandpa. <laughs> I found her life verse saying to a stock, thou art my father, to a stone, thou hast brought me forth. There's grandpa right there. Yep, yep. Oh, this guy is so smug, I swear. Yeah. (sighs) Yeah, so having watched this video, 
his whole video is basically just this over and over and over again. But we get to like like we get to specific claims that he makes, and I want to break down for because the, there's a formula here. He has a very yeah. specific formula. I agree, and I, I wanted to play that particular anecdote because I think it's a good representation of the spirit of his entire video. Yeah. So he will start out by saying, so scientists say X. I believe the Bible. The Bible says Y. There are some Christians who believe that Z because they're idiots and we don't want to worry about them. So it's Bible versus X. Now, let me misrepresent X as much as I possibly can to make it sound as ridiculous as possible. When I do this, scientists get mad at me because their big old scientist egos can't handle being wrong about anything or even being contradicted. And they get so mad when I get up there in front of everybody and totally own them that they experience a complete death of their ego and I send their whole identity into a crisis. So as a kid hearing this, I thought, yep, that's exactly how that story happened. And if Kent Hovind just had five minutes to talk to every single evolutionist in the world, then when he was done, there would be no more evolutionists. Because Mm -hmm. when they are confronted with this information that he has, they just implode and they realize that their own theories don't hold up. Uh, Yeah. So listening to this clip now, what I'm hearing is that the school in Boston invited him to come, uh, possibly because they... Maybe they didn't understand fully what he was going to say once he got on stage. Or maybe they wanted their students to understand that there are people that believe in young earth creationism and that's just something that they should be aware of. And I see the professor's anger. I don't think she's angry because Hovind just has that effect on people, like he said. I just have that effect on people, you know. <laughs> he says that several times, yeah. Um, no, I don't think it's that. I think it's because she just heard her life's work demeaned and totally misrepresented for however long this long-winded man was talking. And the breakdown, her kind of like breakdown that he portrays at the end – I don't think that's her having some kind of ego death and realizing that her beliefs are all wrong. I think it's her realizing the depths of this man's self-delusion and uh, also possibly some anger at the university administration for letting him talk to her students. Yeah. Also, like, who knows if he's even characterizing her reaction properly? You know what I'm saying? Because who knows if she was as heated as he says that she was? Who knows if the talk actually even took place? Because if you recall, he doesn't say which university he spoke at. He just says, oh, they I went to a school in Boston and there are a lot of universities in Boston. You know Mm -hmm. what I'm saying? Like, but Boston is also one of those places. It's like Portland. You know, it's definitely enemy territory if you're a fundy, because not only is it the home of like the liberal atheist, but like Boston in particular, it's the home of the Catholics, right? The right. Irish, the Catholic. Like, of course, this video is from years ago. And if he were telling the story today, he'd probably say, I called every university in and around Portland or I called every university in and around San Francisco. Just because like those are places that you can just throw out if you're right wing and people will be like, oh, evil, you know. Yeah. Boston is also the 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 ancestral home of all the East Coast lesbians as well. That's true. Because of Boston marriages. Yeah. But essentially, he's just coming through with his own highlight reel, according to him. You know what I'm saying? Like, this is his highlight reel, according to him. You know that meme where it's Obama putting the medal around his own neck? Yes. 
this is like watching that for two hours. It, it, it's extremely easy to win a debate against somebody if they're not there to defend or clarify their own position. It's also really easy to characterize your opponents as being dumb or stupid or to misrepresent their position and make yourself seem like glorious and a genius if they're not there to defend themselves. And that's what this is. That's all this is for like two and a half hours. Yes. And we've seen this before. If you dig into any Jack Kyle's sermon material, um, Curtis Hudson did this as well. Both of them habitually told this kind of story. There's also a certain human Cheeto who is prone to telling this kind of fairy tale about how barely passing a dementia test makes him a genius. Honestly, I believe this is like another Paul Sand situation. You know what I'm saying? Where he was just up there reading his phone bill. I give 70, 30 odds that this never took place or that somebody one time got mad at him and couldn't articulate their point very well. Cause you know, not all scientists are the most well-spoken people. A lot of them, you know, they got into science because it was something that they're good at and they're not, everybody's like a great speaker, a great public speaker. And so one time a scientist gets mad at him and tries to say something using like scientific language, because that's the language that they're used to. But that doesn't sound very good to Kent Hovind because he doesn't understand any of it. So he's just going to use simple language that if he says that out to the um, to the kids at Hiles Anderson, they're like, yeah, he knows what he's saying. What probably happened, like one time a scientist probably got mad at him. A scientist probably got mad at him and yelled at him because he was out there misrepresenting the position and making fun of it. One time a woman yelled at him. Um, and one time, you know, somebody got so mad that they couldn't articulate their point very well. But all three of these probably weren't the same person. He's probably just like combining, you know, like they do in the movies. Yeah, exactly. I do want to make a point about the simple language. We have talked at length about Jack Kyle's use of language and his uh, he used a smaller vocabulary and how he used that to manipulate his audience. And on the topic of a scientist, a scientist getting mad and not being able to articulate themselves, Consider David Jones. He was just a guest for us a few weeks back, and he did such a fantastic job. And he was so poised and articulate on our show. But do you think that he would be able to contain his frustration and make a salient counterpoint when, if he was faced off with no preparation against someone like Hovind? Like, no matter how smart you are or how well you know your point, it, that's going to be difficult to, to make a point against somebody as erratic and chaotic as Kentovind. Yeah, I think I made this analogy a couple weeks ago in a different episode. But you know how we were talking about like, oh, this is chess and this is checkers. Well, this is, it, it, I called it the equivalent of playing chess against somebody who thinks that, who isn't playing checkers. They're just throwing the pieces at you, like at your face while you're trying to. Yes. Like, that's what this is. That's essentially what he's doing. He's not really engaging in debate. He's just making a bunch of points that you can't possibly refute all of these points because they're, A, so ridiculous. But, like, at the end, he says, oh, so you do believe we came from rocks. Ha, 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 ha. Don't step on grandpa. Yeah. I think this is more significant than we realize because on one level, it's the same thing as, oh, my grandpa is not a monkey. Because of, like, you know, you said there's this belief that humans are unique and possess souls. And that if we came from something that wasn't human, do all things have souls? If we came from this primordial stew in the oceans, what does that say about all the other living things? Is you know, If we all came from the same source and at one time looked very different, that makes our lives and our existences feel very fleeting and very insignificant in the grand scheme of things. 
And that is an uncomfortable feeling to say the least, especially, you know, say you grown up and you're told, you know, God created you specifically and he loves you individually. I don't want to say that that's contradictory to that, but, you know, that might maybe feel a little challenging or uncomfortable if that's what you're growing up used to thinking in a certain way. So if you're not used to feeling that your mind is going to armor itself against it and feeling like, you know, maybe you're not the main character in the universe is also a bit of an ego death, right? Tell me about it. <laughs> yeah. He's going to project that ego onto whatever scientist straw man he can make. And the kids listening are just going to go along with it. And we addressed it in the big creationism episode as well. That the IFB in particular are incredibly fine point specific about the details of salvation and how all the pieces have to fit together in the very particular way for salvation to work. So the idea that the Bible is inaccurate or metaphorical or even one chapter is inaccurate or metaphorical or that the Bible has an incomplete account of the creation story, any of those ideas are just anathema to them because it challenges biblical literalism. The idea that humans are evolved beings and not specially created also challenges the entire worldview and the salvation aspect. So all of these things are interconnected and interdependent, and it is a very big deal. So also, do you think that he made the scientist in the story like a woman on purpose so that the fundies would be more likely to discount her points? Counterpoint. What if it really happened and the person who confronted him was a woman and he projected anger and stupidity onto her because of his opinions about women? Mm, That's also as likely. Yep. Yeah. I think that's more likely, actually. Just, um, and I don't have uh, a lot of personal knowledge about his personal misogyny level um but just knowing ifb preachers and ifb teachings about women that's what i that would be my first guess the other thing i wanted to bring in here is how throughout this video he alternates between jokingly insulting his audience and then like insulting the the enemy there are a lot of softball jokes about his audience at one point he says have you figured out yet that god is older than you are i'm not exactly sure what he's doing psychologically there But this is another thing that's very common to Fundy World. Yeah, I mean, that is a very real possibility, though. Yeah, I want to move on uh, from this clip for a second. We're going to talk about your favorite subject. My favorite subject? Dinosaurs, of course. Oh, I thought you were going to say The Bachelor. (laughs) (laughs) No, Bachelor in Paradise. That's what we're going to... No, we're talking about dinosaurs. (sighs) Dinosaurs are also very cool. So what does Kent Hovind... Dr. uh, Hovind. Doctor. (laughs) Not doctor, not the doctor. So you know, you know, in the Simpsons, in the Simpsons, um, Doctor Nick has that has that commercial, and it's Doctor, but the B is for bargain. <laughs> we should call him Doctor Kent Hovind. You went to Hollywood Upstairs Medical College too. <laughs> so what does Doctor Kent Hovind, real scientist and destroyer of liberals, have to say about dinosaurs? Well, he has a lot to say about dinosaurs, and some of these things are things that we covered in our dinosaurs episode a few weeks ago, such as that they were real in the Garden of Eden, and they were taken on the ark, survived the flood. But one thing that was actually different from what you said, because Kent Holman seems to believe the dinosaurs died out much, much, much more recently than you said that you thought they did. How recently? Recently, as in within the past 500 years. 500 years. 500 years. Okay. So so Shakespeare's grandpa had a pet pterodactyl. I sh- you not. Oh, fun. Yeah, but here's what he has to say. So dinosaurs existed throughout human history and died out because they were large, dangerous, and hunted to extinction because of the threat that they posed to humans. 
Wouldn't that suggest that it's possible that some species of dinosaurs have escaped the threat of hunting and and are still surviving in very remote parts of the world and we just don't know about it? Well, if you think about the conversation that we had with David Jones a few weeks ago, there are a lot of species that we believe exist, but that we just haven't found yet. Like we found evidence for them, but we haven't found a live one. You know what I'm saying? Like yes. he, he was saying with the 5 million beetles. Right. The, the beetles that got in my head. That being said, according to our friend Kent, the word dinosaur, which means terrible lizard, was only coined about like 150 years ago or less. So before that, dinosaurs were called something completely different. And that was? Dragons. Dragons. Yes. Right. right. Okay. So I think I know where he's going. <laughs> I think I know where he's going with this. I, yeah. I think he is probably going to go into the theory that... For example, when the Bible mentions behemoths and leviathans and dragons, um, I know behemoth is mentioned, behemoth and leviathan both, I think, in the book of Job. But I think he's going to say that, that that is the Bible talking about dinosaurs. Yes, that is the theory. And he has evidence to back it up. <laughs> oh, look, there's more scare quotes. Evidence, yeah. So Let's hear about this. Yeah, let's, let's see if we can condense this down, because to me, this is very interesting. So one of the things that he says, which is true, is that many different cultures, many different civilizations have legends about dragons. Therefore, too many different cultures have seen such creatures for them to be fake. This is evidenced by accounts and legends about dragons, as well as pictures of dragons throughout history. See, and that's an interesting take to me. I mean, that, that that sounds not completely illegitimate. No, it's not insane. Yeah, this is coherent. But this is where the story gets a little bit fuzzy. Of course. So Kent pulls up a slideshow. And on his slideshow, there are some pictures, including pictures of old coins, pictures of some ancient stone carvings, all of which at first glance seem to depict dinosaurs including this one, which is the, the Narmer palette, which is a 5,000-year-old stone tablet from ancient Egypt, which Hovind says shows two creatures that are long-necked dinosaurs, a.k.a. Brontosaurus. Upon further research, it has been determined by me, by using Google, that these creatures are called uh, serpapards, which are a mythical creature from ancient Egypt, and they were a cross between a serpent and a leopard. Sort of like how a sphinx is like a lion and a woman. Like, this is a, a, a serpent and a leopard. Okay, sure. So, so this is different from dinosaurs, different from dragons. But our friend Kent isn't concerned with this. What he is concerned with is making clear that his website, drdino.com, will sell you a half-sized replica of this stone tablet for the low, low price of $40. <laughs> so he's grifting based on this yes now. I, cool. I thought yeah i thought that we need to bring this up now like the grift up now because once you like once you see the grift you see the grift once and it keeps coming up this is a constant theme oh, where that... he'll tell you this and then he'll be like but we're selling this educational yeah. material all about it you can buy a poster with this all of these slides on it and you can put them up in your classroom like that's what he's doing Chuck has opinions. Yeah. So he is he spinning this as a novelty item that you might want to own or a scientific reproduction that you can use to personally own the atheist liberals in your life? 
or is it I, clear at this point? I assume that he's because if you look at his website, drdino.com, it's all like there's like t-shirts and there's like what he calls education materials, which are pamphlets, posters, books, things like that. Okay. And so I assume that this falls under oh, the... Oh, you know what? You know what I yeah. bet he's selling it for? He's selling it for Christian school teachers who want to have a show and tell for the kids in their classroom. Yes. That, that that's is, it. I bet that is the, the direction that he's taking with this. Um, and of course, a lot of IFBers homeschool or go to very small schools. So there's a market for that. That would make sense because the the buying novelty items thing, like buying souvenirs when you go on vacation, um, that is not super huge within the IFB because it's seen as a waste of money. Yeah, but I mean, that makes perfect sense. I assume when I saw it, it was like education materials because he's giving this talk at Hiles Anderson. All these people are going to go to be pastors, pastors or school teachers, right? Okay. Yeah. And so they're going to be like, oh, you know what? I'm trying to teach this. You know who has educational materials based on this is Kent. I'm going to buy that thing. I, I heard him talk about once. He was so smart about it. Like, that's what they're going to do. Or, you know, if they're they, people just end up being IFB wives and they end up homeschooling their kids, they're going to want to buy these homeschool things. So that's a huge market. If you get $40 right. I was just wondering, from- like, where, where is his market? Because I'm not saying that nobody who's IFB ever buys souvenirs ever, uh, but there's a typical cultural expectation of being frugal um, that wouldn't fit particularly well with just buying things to have them. Well, will people buy souvenirs if it's like a, a souvenir, but also it's like a religious item? Not IFB don't do religious items. Oh, so, right. Cause- right, because that's an idol. Or so, if it's like a, a not like a religious item, but like a, a an item for like religious, like say you went on, say you went to uh, Jerusalem or something and you were like, oh, I bought this Bible in Jerusalem or something. Yes. Like would, that would be a thing. Jerusalem is an exception. You... Books are an exception. Um, pens can be an exception. So they don't just buy like, like things though. They buy things that have a use. Um and that's just this is not every IFB family or every IFB church, but this is just typically, yeah, buying like pens or articles of clothing, books, Bibles, Bible covers, that sort of thing. Yeah, would be more common. So I just I was just kind of you know spitballing about where what who is he aiming this grift at? No, that that makes that makes perfect sense though. Like the that's the audience. Yeah, but like once he brings it up, he just keeps doing it, and so he's showing all of these artifacts from ancient Egypt, right? He's got some coin from the 1500s. You know, he's got like a, a, a pictures of like old stone carvings. And then he randomly throws in there a Bulgarian postage stamp from like 1973 with a picture of a dragon on it. So a postage stamp from the 70s is proof of long-standing cross-cultural concepts of dragons. Yes. Because many cultures have drawn dragons Creatures like dragons must have been real at some point recently enough for humans to see them and draw them. Yes. I feel like there's some gaps in this logic, but uh, it's also not completely unreasonable. Okay. So that's one example. Like, for instance, he he shows us, you know, the ancient city of Babylon, which was lovingly rebuilt by uh, Saddam Insane. Excuse me, Saddam Hussein. He calls him Saddam Insane. Okay. At some point, we need to talk about... How he uses the fundy trope of so many forced puns everywhere. Yeah. Oh, yeah. He calls... What was the other one? He, he said national pornographic instead of right. national geographic. Uh, Fundyland is full of these. I, I think I mentioned in the Lady Gaga episode about her being called Lady Gag Gag. Kinky. Or Britney Spears being called Britney Steers. Britney, wait, Britney Steers? 
Like yeah. a, like steers like a car? No, like a steer, like a cow. Oh, like a cow. Oh, that's not even clever. Did I not mention that in the Lady Gaga episode? No. Okay, they have pseudo-clever misnomers for a lot of actors, musical artists, so on. Most commonly female solo artists because they hate them extra hard. Uh, but it really could be anybody, any celebrity who they think is popular. I feel like in the year 2021, with the Free Britney movement in full swing, comparing Britney Spears to a castrated labor animal is especially heinous. I know, that one hits hard. Yeah. Uh, I don't know if they're still doing that one, but you're right. That is a terrible thing to say. I think that subsection of the phenomena that I'm describing is specifically meant to make these female artists that are marketed as sexy seem less appealing. Uh, but this, but the the forced pun thing is like a thing that happens. Constantly. Yeah, I just I want to say for the record for all of our fans that on this show we love Britney Spears because she is a massively talented artist, and anybody who slanders Britney Spears is somebody who will automatically get our hate no matter what. <laughs> yeah, this is a free Britney podcast. Um, I love that we take a firm stance on the important issues on this show. These are important issues. Yeah, not joking. If anybody wants to make a call-out episode or Twitter thread for us about how Free Britney is unbiblical, uh, they should feel free. Yeah, if you make that episode or Twitter thread, though, I will post said Twitter thread or episode in the uh, Britney Army Facebook group, which I am a member of, and they will probably dox you and ruin your whole life. Thanks. They do not f*** around. They're almost as vicious as the beehive. We we are not a pro-doxing podcast. No. Me. No. no. Um, Oh, back to the phenomenon. Okay, so we're, we're working our way out of this rabbit hole. And then the next thing that we need to hit on our way up is the phenomenon of having funny, like little punny phrases and these little earworms that are meant to be associated with certain phrases. I haven't been able to form an airtight theory on this, but I'm running with my working theory. My working theory right now is that those kind of phrases stick in your mind and they give you an automatic answer for when your faith is questioned or what you've been told is questioned. It sh- yes, dear. It short circuits the process of thinking. So something gets questioned and you don't think you're just programmed to jump to the answer. Um, if anybody has a better theory or some insight on how specifically the punny phrases and the little like alliterated earworms and things like that, if anybody has a better theory or information on how that became such a big part of fundydom, feel free to let me know. But uh, that's the theory that I'm working with at this time. Right. And you don't even have to know why it's bad. You just have to know that it's a thing that is to be met with derision and mocking. Right. And I do think this does go back to the whole thing of being trained to laugh at the phrase millions of years ago. It, to give you a pre-programmed response and you never actually stop to think about it. Yeah. I, I do think that th- these are related things. Yeah. It's really important that we bring up and that's a really important uh, connection. Just... For a minute, though, I want to hop back to this whole dragons thing. Yeah, of course. Yeah. That was actually a pretty short rabbit trail for us. So, but good it was job. important. We had to say it. So, it's what does Hovind have to say uh, after talking about dragons? Well, I want to address something that he said because. Oh, okay. Yeah, the thing that he said that actually made me ask a question and look it up because the answer was very interesting. So, Hovind asks this question, why do all of these civilizations, you know, Asian civilizations, European civilizations, like ancient Egypt, why have they all got legends about dragons? Why do they all have legends about like giant, terrible, like flying lizard type creatures? And that's a really legitimate question because flood legends uh, like the Epic of Gilgamesh 
and dragon legends really are pretty pervasive across lots of different ancient cultures. Yeah, so how about this? So how about we finish up on dragons and then we go to break and then in the second half we talk about floods. Is that cool? Sorry, I didn't mean to jump the gun with floods. Let's do it that way. And this is actually a really cool answer. According to a a theory uh, from some biologists, so this is a theory. I know Kent Hovind says that he has a theory, but this theory is actually like there's some sense to it. It's a theory by somebody with a real PhD? Yeah. So according to, yeah, well, according to uh, biologists and uh, geologists, you know, paleontologists, humans have a common ancestor with monkeys. Our two species, their ancestors split off from each other many millions of years ago. And so in studying monkeys in their ecosystem, in their natural habitat, biologists have learned that monkeys are afraid of snakes. So if a monkey sees a snake, it will run away, climb a tree, do something to try to get away from the snake, try to or try to get to the snake to go away. And this is true of monkeys, whether they have learned this behavior from watching other monkeys do it or if they're like just seeing a snake for the first time, they will immediately see it. Something happens. They're like, get out of here. So if you think about this from an evolutionary point of view, where the surviving species automatically has advantageous and inherited traits this makes perfect sense it's like with reflexes so like if you touch something hot you'll pull your hand away before your brain has time to say oh that's hot you better stop uh, touching it so if a monkey sees a snake it will react to seeing the snake just with like immediate fear and i think a lot of people have that same response you know with snakes spiders uh whatever yeah i've read about this concept when it comes to the idea of disgust um, it, you feel you feel ill when you see or smell something disgusting like rotten food because it's evolutionarily necessary for you to not eat rotten food and get sick and possibly die. So we've evolved to have that revulsion or disgust reaction. Same exact thing. Humans share a common... I should say ans- we've allegedly evolved. <laughs> allegedly. <sighs> yeah. I'm working on it. Yeah. So humans, so we share a common ancestor with monkeys. So the hypothesis is that this behavior predates the ape and monkey split. And keeping that in mind, humans have evolved to a point where we have a real comprehension of the feeling of fear in a way that other animals do not, in a way that we have intellectualized it. So many, many thousands of years ago, when humans were building societies, they were also telling stories, they were making artwork. And if you are telling a story and you want a scary monster or something that will strike fear into the hearts of anybody listening, what sort of monster do you want to come up with? Well, a regular snake, you know, you could see a regular snake and you'd be like, oh, that's creepy, but I can avoid it. But a giant snake, like a flying snake or a half snake, half mountain lion, a snake with wings, a snake that breathes fire. You know, maybe somebody Mm -hmm. adds that along the way or, you know, maybe it has deadly claws now, too. Like it's like a lion almost with like lion claws like that makes perfect sense. You know, if you look at that does make sense. Like those like what would you make if you were trying to make a scary monster? Well, something that's a combination of other scary things. Yes, 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 yes. Um, And our friend Kent, you know, he calls them dinosaurs. You know, they're all different depending on where they come from. So Chinese dragons, Chinese dragons don't have wings. They're also, you know, fantastic, wise creatures, tremendously powerful, often symbols of good luck. They're not vicious and animalistic the same way that a a European dragon would be. But they're all dragons. They're all based on snakes. And once again, this is like just the hypothesis. And, you know, they can't 
know for sure because they can't go back 10,000 years and interview the first guy to come up with dragons in the story. But isn't this fascinating? That is fascinating because we can't go back and interview the people who originated the idea. It isn't proof either way, but that's a really reasonable hypothesis. And what I wonder about this dragon theory is that many cultures also have local monsters. And I'm sure that he knows about that because of his interest in cryptozoology. So it makes me wonder, he's got this biblical creationist-based explanation for dinosaurs. I wonder, because he calls them dragons, I wonder if he has an explanation for Wendigo or Chupacabra or other native legends or other more local monster legends. Well, we know what the biblical explanation for the Loch Ness Monster is. I'm wondering if he actually thinks that the Yeti, a.k.a. the Abominable Snowman, actually lives at the North Pole with Santa and Rudolph. I would have thought he would have brought up Yeti. I'm actually surprised he didn't. Um, But maybe it's elsewhere in this long, rambling-ass presentation. Yeah. What about Bigfoot? Is Bigfoot, like, secretly Goliath's cousin? I feel like there's an exhibit dedicated to Bigfoot at Hoven's Museum. I think there is, but I I really don't know how to fact check that. I just feel like I remember seeing it. Yeah, let's go to break and then we'll come back and talk about Noah and the Flood, okay? Okay. I've got my my, uh, growling baby. I promise she's perfectly happy. She's just learning how to use her voice and she makes a lot of squeaky and growly noises. Okay, well, we're going to go take up the offering and then we'll come back. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hey, it's Sadie. If this is your first time listening to the Leaving Eden podcast, make sure you go back and check out episode one, where we start the whole story. You might also want to check out our cult true crime series, The First Family of Fundamentalism. If you like the show, you can support us by joining our Patreon, where we have extended and uncensored episodes available. You can also join in the discussion in our Facebook group, Eden Exodus. Tell a friend, tell a family member, tell your worst enemy. The Leaving Eden podcast is a fully independent podcast, and we really do appreciate your support. Now, back to the show. We are back. We are here. We are talking about a doctor, but can't <laughs> The B you know, is for bargain. Doctor Bekenthoven. Yeah, I've read this man's doctorable dissertation. <laughs> <laughs> I refuse to call him a doctor of anything. The only time I'd call this man a doctor is if he was having a heart attack. Heyo. Yeah. <laughs> Anyway, our friend Kent, uh, the genius behind drdino.com, 
uh, which is a great website name, just objectively a great website, drdino.com rolls off the tongue and the dinosaur Adventureland theme park that he built in his backyard more on that later and this long ass smug ass video where he owns all the libs countless times i just cannot get over how ridiculous this video is it's like two and a half hours long and everything that we've talked about so far is just like in the first like 20 minutes of it yeah um (laughs) and i know we mentioned this earlier but I do want to reiterate how simplistic this whole thing is. I remember as a kid, I thought this was just amazing, the height of scientific achievement. But watching it as an adult, it's almost embarrassing that this passes for a college lecture. Of course, what's really sad is that this is way more advanced in vocabulary and in actual depth of content than any typical Hiles Anderson lecture to begin with. But yeah, this is, this is mostly this is just Hovind stroking his own ego. Yeah. Not like Jack Scopp, who's stroking other things. And yeah, he shows <laughs> people who are allowed <laughs> yeah. behind the pulpit at Hiles Anderson College, man. Yeah. He so he shows slide after slide with no sources. Um you just have to believe him that this is all one hundred percent accurate. Yeah. And you know what this really has the same vibe as? What? A multi level marketing pitch meeting where the presenter just flashes a, bl- a bunch of slides with like no references or proof. Some bar graphs. Yeah, but the, the presenter is expecting that their charisma and their official looking slides will result in them having credibility and that people will just eat up what they're saying. And like the speed of the presentation is a is a crucial part to winning these people over. That's the vibe I'm getting. Do you remember that episode of The Simpsons? If we're talking about The Simpsons once again, where Homer goes to see Disco Stew's Can't Stop the Learning Disco Academy. And he's like, did you know that the sale of disco records were up 400% for the year ending in 1976? If these trends continue, hey. <laughs> Is that from the franchise episode where Marge opens a pretzel stand and gets caught up with the mafia? Yes. And the Yakuza. Yeah, they show up at the end. (laughs) That whole episode is so good. Yeah. But I want to talk about Noah's Ark. Okay. Because when uh, Kent, excuse me, Dr. Behoven, (laughs) (laughs) we're never, we both love The Simpsons. We're never going to stop bringing that up. When they bring up, uh, when he brings up Noah's Ark, this is where things really start to go off the rails. Okay. This is where things start to go off the rails. <laughs> yeah. Because or this is where things start to go off the rails. So, well, no, because for the dragons thing, for the dinosaurs and dragons, he asked a legitimate question, which is why do all these cultures have dragons? And you're just like, you know what? I never thought about that before. Why? Even if you don't agree with his conclusion or his answer to that question, it's not a bad question. He's asking the right question, but the answer he comes out with is ludicrous. This, this time, though, I... So so Kent starts out by telling us this belief that I was I was personally unfamiliar with until you kindly brought it to my attention was the firmament of water surrounding the earth also water in the earth's crust and that this water was brought down up, like onto the earth and out of the earth and that's what made the great flood because the firmament is mentioned so much in scripture as far as I understand it's completely foundational to young earth creationism as I explained in that original episode, you can't have young earth creationism without a literal global flood because the flood explains a lot of anomalies that otherwise would not be explained by young earth creationism beliefs. I know I'm repeating myself from that episode, but I really feel like that this is the most important detail and that people who aren't young earth creationists or never were really tend to miss. 
So these guys, they spend a lot of time trying to prove like with certainty that the flood of Noah was a real thing and that it actually happened. Yeah, because you have to prove that for young earth creationism to work, to work at all. And also you have to have that to be able to explain fossils, to explain the Grand Canyon and a lot of other things. And also, you know, the Bible says the flood happened. And so they believe the Bible literally. So, you know, that's another reason. Right. And the whole point of these people is if you don't believe that the Bible is literal about one thing, why do you believe it's literal about anything? So Kent here says that Noah went and got two of every kind of animal, not two of every animal, two of every kind of animal. That's like he makes that distinction. Right. So he says he didn't get two of every breed of dog. He got two puppies because they would be small. And then he got two baby elephants and then he got two like ponies, two little horses. So he didn't get horses and zebras. He got like two like baby horses and he didn't need to get bugs. He didn't need to get fish. He didn't need to get amphibians because they'd be okay in the water. So this drastically reduces the size of the ark from how big it would need to be by previous estimates. If you factor all these things into account, which, you know, to his credit kind of makes sense. um, If you're thinking about this logically. Yeah. Food and room for all of those animals. Yeah. So Kent says uh, it's going to be about 300 cubits long or around 500 feet long, something like that. So this all matched with what you were taught? Pretty much uh, except for one thing. And before I tell you what that thing is, I want to point out really quickly that this does require a belief in what the young earth creationists call microevolution. Yes. So they believe that a, a horse can evolve into a zebra, but that it's never going to change from its kind. So all horse and horse like so horses and donkeys and zebras and those things that you see at the zoo that have the stripy manes and I can't remember what they're called. Those are all the kind of horse. So things can evolve within a kind, but they will never evolve into a different kind. Um, so wolves probably like baby wolves is probably what Noah would have had on the ark, and those evolved into chihuahuas and great danes and rottweilers and pit bulls and frenchies and everything else and this makes them seem a bit more reasonable when they talk about this though right because so so that is what they are talking about when they say i believe in microevolution, but not macroevolution. you have opinions about that so if you ever hear somebody use that phrase, that's what they are referencing, microevolution. The thing that, do- that doesn't match up between the teachings I heard growing up and what Hovind is saying is uh, the thing about bugs and amphibians. Because I read, I looked at Genesis 7-8, and Genesis 7-8 says, Of clean beasts and beasts that are not clean, and of fowls and of everything that creepeth upon the earth. And it's a list of things that Noah is supposed to be bringing on the ark, or animals that Noah is supposed to be putting on the ark. So I think Noah would have had to take bugs for sure and possibly amphibians because of the creepeth upon the earth definition. I think that would apply to anything that's not a fish, anything that can move on land. Um, I had to look up some amphibian facts for this to see if this made sense. But frogs, for example, they are able to breathe, quote unquote, breathe, sort of, sort of breathe, get oxygen through their skin underwater uh, if there's enough oxygen in the water. But I would say that frogs, regardless of where they can or can't get their oxygen from, they definitely creep upon the earth. So I would think that Noah would have had to take frogs on the ark too. Okay, so the flood ends after 40 days. There's a rainbow. Dove waters go down into the oceans. Noah's ark lands at Mount Ararat. 
which is in modern day Turkey, right near the border with Armenia and Iran. Uh, so all that happens, Noah gets a sign from God and by seeing a branch in the mouth of a dove that he can get out of the ark, which is actually like months after the flood. Yes. Um, and then go enjoy the new world. Much of Kent's theories are based around trying to find the location of the ark. And also much of Kent's theories are based around the fact, oh, Noah didn't get out until like months later. So yeah, it could have moved or something like that's that's oh, his whole thing. Yeah. Um, the location of the ark is a whole thing. That probably deserves its own episode eventually because there are a lot of Christians who have tried extremely hard to find Noah's Ark. Jesus. Okay, I'll add that to the list. <laughs> yeah, This. Uh, so this list, even though, you know, we keep making episodes and we keep, you know, crossing things off, it keeps getting longer. Like, maybe we can do one with all of this people that are trying to find the Ark of the Covenant and then people that are trying to find Peace of the True Cross, combine all of those. That might be fun. Anyway. Yeah, that would be really fun. Yeah. We can do like a Dan Brown pun for the uh for the episode title. Oh god. That would be that would be hilarious. Anyway, uh Kent here has a slideshow saying that he knows where the ark is. Actually, no, he doesn't claim that he knows where the ark is because he says that maybe he knows somebody who says he knows where the ark is, but then shows us a bunch of slides that don't really make it seem like he thinks he knows where the ark is. But then he hits us with like a good old do your own research. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, and if I had time, I would fact check the supposed images of the Ark that he decided to show in the slideshow. But there's so many of them. There's like 50. He just keeps throwing he, more and more Yeah, and like more. I said, like, it's it's very rapid fire and none of them are attributed to anything. So I feel like the only way to really fact check it would be image search. And yeah, reverse. Yeah. Well, well, you can't reverse image search unless you took a screenshot from YouTube and cropped that. Well, yeah, I guess that's what we'd have to do. Is, is well, you could also yeah. Google search for pictures of the ark, cross reference it with what is sh- what he's showing, and if it's clear that it's the same image, then go research the image that you turned up. Mm, yeah, but, like that would be, mm. but that's time intensive, is what I'm saying. Yeah, we don't want to do that. We already spent so. I do I, want to do that, but I'm not going to do that. Well, yeah, the thing is, I already spent two and a half hours watching this video, and then a bunch of time like researching all of the things that he says in this video. Yeah. But anyway, the key point that that Kent points out to us is that the Turkish government has multiple viewpoints and destinations around Mount Ararat commemorating the supposed location of Noah's Ark, and that this is somehow evidence of the Ark's real current existence and known location. There's a, I mean, there's a destination in Armenia also that commemorates the supposed location of Noah's Ark, I found out. Um, but the idea that the Turkish government and probably the Russian government and also probably the American government uh, all know exactly where the Ark is and have tested samples of the wood and are keeping it from everybody, that idea is very prevalent. Yeah, I know that the search for Noah's Ark is of deep significance to some people and that their desire to find it is real. I don't know if our friend Kent has figured this out yet, though. But the Ark is made of wood. And wood decays, wood rots. You know, biblical flood was said to have taken place more than 4,000 years ago. Do you know what the oldest surviving wooden building in the world is? No, I don't. It is the Horyuji, which is a Buddhist temple in Japan. It is 1,400 years old and is a building that has been painstakingly maintained. What they are looking for here is a soggy old boat that's been parked on a mountain for 4,000 years. 
Uh, well, actually, the Ark was sealed with pitch, which is tar. So that's the reason that they would give for the plausibility of it having survived for about 4,000 years. This is 4,000 years of weather on a mountain that is rainstorms, that is snowstorms, that is wildfires, that is summers, winters, things growing out of it, things growing around it, uh, decomposition. So have you seen what happens when you leave an old car outside for 20 years? Yeah, I've seen pictures. And that's made of metal. This is made of wood. Like, the, so you have a house, you build a house, the timbers of that house wear out if you don't repaint them every few years and they get dry rot, even if you take care of them and they get mold. like there's all sorts of stuff that can happen and you have to go in and you have to replace pieces of it. You have to replace the roof on your house every so often because that'll wear out. That'll get leaks. This has, this is an object that has been lost for millennia. And they're trying to find it, and they think that it's like still there and like completely, you know, preserved. I think the explanation for that would be that God gave Noah supernaturally good instructions on how to waterproof the ark with pitch. And because Noah did the right thing and got, followed God's instructions exactly and followed all the rules, that that's what has allowed it to be preserved. Mm. But the Ark wasn't there to prove to everybody later that it existed. The Ark was just there to serve a purpose of being a big boat to float for 40 days. It doesn't really have to, you know, exist longer than that, does it? That's true. Yeah. That is that is a logical flaw there. I feel like that would be a better argument to explain why it's not there. I mean, I feel like the fact is having the Ark not be there is better evidence that it existed than having it be there. Because if it was there, you'd be like, why is this? How is this thing here? What is this? If this thing is here, it's probably not the Ark because there is no way that could have survived. You see what I'm saying? Yeah, that makes that actually makes a lot more sense. Yeah. So here's the question, though, is so were you ever in church and somebody came to your church trying to fundraise, like not for like a missions trip to Malaysia or something, but like for an expedition to find Noah's Ark? So I'm going to answer that question a couple of different ways. First, no, no one ever came through to my church specifically trying to find the Ark that I remember. While no one came to my church specifically fundraising for a mission to find the Ark, there are Christian archaeologists, and they do fundraise church to church. There's a movie about this. The movie didn't get great critical reviews, but I thought it was the funniest thing I've ever seen. Uh, the title of the movie is Don Verdeen, and Jared and Jerusha Hess wrote it, which is the people who wrote Napoleon Dynamite. I don't think anyone like that ever came by my church, but I remember seeing that kind of ministry somewhere. So if I saw it somewhere and it wasn't my church, my first guess would have been that it was a booth at pastor school uh, because people are allowed to like advertise their ministries. Like a, it's like a, it's like a business convention at pastor school. They have oh. booths in the halls and you can visit and it's mostly missionaries, but it can be other Christian mi ministries too. Um, and I still have, and I have horrible nightmares about the claustrophobic halls full of people in booths. It's like college fair, but not, but for but, Jesus. Yes. Uh, but if I'm thinking, I know that I've seen something like that somewhere. And if it wasn't at my church, my best guess is it was probably a pastor school. Yeah. This is like Indiana Jones. They're trying to be Indiana Jones, but make it Christian. Yes. And if you think that's funny, go watch Don Verdeen. It's on some streaming. I can't remember what streaming. I think it may be prime, but mm -hmm. go watch it. It's hilarious. So like I said earlier, it has been 
4,000 years. And Kent is pointing us to a rock formation, like a mound of earth that's kind of boat-shaped, and saying, there, that's Noah's Ark. Oh, wait. No, well, we're not saying it's Noah's Ark, but do your own research, which to <laughs> me is a red flag. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, and I feel like he's kind of leading people. Like, when he says do your own research, he's leading them to research and f- find a belief that the Ark is still there. Yes. Like his, when he says do your own research, he doesn't mean do your own research and come to the conclusion that it isn't there. He means do your own research and decide where you think it is. Yeah. And also he's like telling you where to do your research. He's like, Hey, you can ask these guys who have, I'll get to that later. But you know, if they actually found Noah's Ark, I'm sure that they would, all they would find are like the remains of it. You know what I'm saying? They'd find a chunk here, a chunk there. It would not still be boat shaped because you remember it's hollow. There's going to be stuff growing in and on it for thousands of years. So it'll have caved in. So I checked the Ark Encounter website. That's Ken Ham's website. The other like super famous creationist dude. Uh, He's the guy who debated Bill Nye. And I think it should have been Kent Hovind because I think it would have been a lot more entertaining. But Ken Ham, he just Ken Ham just was like on such a surface level that Bill Nye didn't really have anything to come back at him with because they're functioning mm. on such different levels. Kent Hovind goes a lot deeper into the <laughs> both his legitimate <laughs> theories and his crazy theories. Um, so I think it would have been a, a much more entertaining debate. Uh, but Ken Ham is the guy who has the Ark Museum in Kentucky that gets real mad when the gays use rainbow stuff. So is that the one that Will from Church Split posted the picture of when he went on his famously unhinged Christian response to Pride Month Twitter rant? that's the one yeah that's the image just worth pointing out that church split podcast is actually short for church split (laughs) podcast and the ark encounter website actually had something reasonable to say about this that website said that mount ararat is an active volcano that last erupted in 1840 so if the ark was there if it was on mount ararat proper it probably would have burned up in the lava flow so if even Answers in Genesis tells you that your theory is too wild, your theory is probably too wild. <laughs> so to be fair to them, the site that they're pointing at and they're talking about is a full 18 miles away from the actual Mount Ararat. So it's on a mountain called uh, Mount Tenderek, which is a shield volcano, which doesn't erupt with lava, but mostly erupts with gas and ash. So if right. you can get out of your head that the boat actually landed on mount ararat or if you're like kent hovind who's like well it landed on mount ararat but then everything shifted because he was in there for a couple of months and then he got out maybe it was 18 miles away or so like if you're kent hovind and you're like well and i don't think the bible says it landed on mount ararat the bible says in the mountains of ararat but the phrase that was written down in the king james as the mountains of ararat has been translated in other versions as the mountains of armenia that just turns up a whole lot of nothing yeah what i'm saying is there are quite a few theories about where the ark could be but a few of these people it's very few of them that claim to actually want to go find it i remember in the chick comics there were a lot of claims about people who had gone to turkey in the 60s or 70s and had found the ark uh but then the turkish government destroyed their cameras because they hate jesus but turkey's a muslim country right so they want to keep us from finding the ark because if we did the whole world would believe in jesus muslims believe in jesus yes i know kent hoven doesn't (laughs) That doesn't make any sense because Muslims believe the same flood legend as Christians do. Like up until the year 600 or so, 
like 80 or 90 percent of their stuff is mostly the same yeah i know yeah. But, but according but it's to, the evil yeah. muslims yeah they're uh, a great boogeyman almost as good a boogeyman as the jews are so according to kent christian explorers actually went down inside of the structure which geologists say is made of stone and earth and they found timbers and he's got some blurry photographs to prove it right um uh. It's it's this idea of having gone inside the ark or having walked on the timbers of the roof. That is a very common part of the we found the ark legends. Uh, and there are so many different people who have claimed to have found the ark. Um, and almost always you get a mention of like having walked on the roof or having gone inside of it. I watched a documentary about this and I'm like 99% sure that it was on Amazon prime. And I cannot remember the name of that documentary. I looked for it online and I could not find it because it turns out there were a lot of documentaries about people going dangerously mountain climbing, looking for the ark. So once again, Kent wants us to know that this is just a theory. It isn't 100% proven. It's a theory. He's just putting the information out there and he wants you to also know that if you want more information about this theory, this is what I was talking about. He's telling you, do your own research, but here's where you go for the information. Mm -hmm. uh, if you want more information about this, uh, you can go to these people's roadside museum in Tennessee, which they built out of an abandoned gas station. <laughs> oh, fun. Not And not at all sketchy. No. I wonder if they had a building permit. I mean. Or if maybe, they paid their taxes. Know. Hmm. Clues so for later. Clues for for part it's two. Called no foreshadowing. Yeah. Um. So you know how non-Baptist Christian people make a whole big deal about finding the Holy Grail or the Ark of the Covenant? Like it's such a big deal that there are multiple movies and books about it. Fundies ascribe that same level of mysticism and intrigue to finding Noah's Ark. So instead of Monty Python and the search for the Holy Grail, it's Kurt Cameron and the search for Noah's Ark. But the movie isn't funny. It's just like a depressing documentary. For legal reasons, I should probably state that I'm not aware of Kurt Cameron having ever been involved with such a project. Although I can't say it would surprise me. But yes, you've got the general idea. So Kent acknowledges these expeditions and he even like makes fun of some of them. Like he talks about how they're all looking at the top of the mountain at the same spot and they never find anything. Or like there's a picture of the mountain where there's like a rock sticking out and they're all pointing to it and be like, Hey, that's Noah's Ark. And then they'll go up there and they'll find, and they'll say like, yeah, we think we found something. Give us more money and we'll do more searching. But then he like goes off and promotes the people who are doing literally the exact same thing. They're just 20 miles away. Yeah. And the, this whole entire thing, the, all of his thoughts on the Ark summed up in one thing. My perception is, I think he feels like he needs to say something about the Ark because it has this huge mystique. I think he feels like he has to say something about it because it's such a huge piece of the proving creationism puzzle. And I feel like he thinks that everyone is just on the edge of their seat waiting for his very important opinion on this very important topic. So he feels like he has to say something about it and put it in his presentation. To be fair, like if you went to a Kent Hovind uh, thing and you're like, this guy has proven all this about the dinosaurs, proven all this young earth, and he didn't talk about Noah's Ark, you'd probably be disappointed. Yeah, it, yeah. That's, that's exactly it. It's like he feels like people are expecting it, so he has to shoehorn it into the part of his presentation that's about dinosaurs. Oh, yeah. But if you were going to go to a seminar and somebody was like, this dude know, knows where the Ark is, you would like be like, I'm there. 
Yeah. I'm I'm going. Yeah. It would be a major draw to the seminars because fundies don't do mysticism. They don't do ghost stories or scary movies or Ouija boards or anything like that because all of that is demonic. Biblical archaeology really fills that gap for them. And it's one of the only things that they're allowed to have, you know, that like spooky feeling, you know, the good spooky feeling, Mm. like the shivers down your spine feeling. Oh, yeah. So fundies aren't allowed to have that except for about like the ark and biblical archaeology that like supposedly proves that the Bible is literally true. They really seek that kind of thing out because it's the only allowed avenue for them to have that kind of cool feeling that we all like. So I have a really good reason why I don't buy any of And can I tell you what it is? Yes, please do. And so this isn't like an, oh, I'm going to go disprove all this stuff individually. This reason is more general. Okay. Yeah. So you've never been to Jerusalem, have you? I would love to go one day, but no, at this time I have not. So Jerusalem is probably one of the most heavily studied cities on the planet as far as archaeology goes. They're constantly finding new artifacts. When I went in 2018 at the Western Wall in Jerusalem, which is the holiest site for Jews uh, at the Temple Mount, across the plaza from the wall, they were doing a massive archaeological dig. And just last year, they discovered like a new complex of ancient 2000 year old rooms that were carved into the bedrock, like underneath this plaza that's like across from the wall. So they're constantly looking for new archaeological sites in the city to enhance their understanding. So if there were any real evidence for the existence and location of Noah's Ark or any shred of evidence that this structure, like say they find some structure that looks like it's the thing that the fundies think could be an Ark. Say they find just any evidence that this thing is man-made and not a natural phenomenon. Archaeologists would be there in a heartbeat. They would be excavating. They would be taking samples for testing. Even if it wasn't Noah's Ark and it turned out to be some other ancient structure, they would want to know what this thing is. They would be like, what is this? How old is it? Why is it here? Who built it? What did they use it for? These aren't people who are just going to go out and see a lump on a hill and immediately say without even examining it yes we know 100 percent for sure that this is noah's ark now how do we keep the word from getting out they're gonna say hmm we found something we don't know what it is let's go take a look at it figure out what it is but as far as i know no archaeologist has had any real interest in this mount of dirt in turkey and that's sort of but not really but kind of near where the bible says this object that probably doesn't exist anymore might have been at one point I think that you just hit on something that people who disdain evolutionists and disdain scientists don't typically understand. We were always told that they will just ignore anything out of their predetermined worldview and twist facts and evidence to support their claims, Uh, which projection much. That's what we're doing, but we're doing it for Jesus. (laughs) Right, right. We were also given examples, which I now realize could have been completely fabricated, Of how scientists would just disregard anything that seemed to prove them wrong. But now on the other side, I'm being told that no, any real scientist would want to find out the truth of the matter. I will say that I do see evidence for this. I think I have seen in real life more examples of scientists and non-religious people in general being open to hearing about beliefs that are not their own or even open to legitimate experimentation. So I, I think I've seen evidence in real life of what the fundies told me not being true. 
So I think that one of the biggest takeaways from our conversation with David Jones a few weeks ago was that if you see something that changes everything, you're like, and you're a scientist, you're going to go whole hog into it, right? So if you're the person who discovers that, that makes you a legend. If you prove like literally everybody wrong or you make some new discovery, you're a hero now. You're not a villain. Albert, so Albert Einstein, Stephen Hawking, both of these guys have had theories that they came up with that were proven wrong, but that doesn't make them less brilliant or revered. It's not about I'm a scientist. I'm right about everything. I know all the answers. Understanding that you don't have all the answers or even that like nobody's going to get all the answers is still one of the things that I think fundies just can't get their heads around. Right. It's because of the culture in Fundyland that you have to have an answer for everything. You literally do have to be right about everything, like as a religious belief. It all ties in, and I feel like it's so obvious once you see it, that this isn't multiple issues that we're talking about. It's one big multifaceted issue that the Bible, the Bible being literal and infallible, the King James Version being a perfect translation, following rules and having like 12 scripture verses to explain the most mundane decisions like what music to listen to or how many times per week to go to church and whether you can wear jeans or not. All of that from the smallest fine points of their standards to the biggest things that they that they fight about and and have national smear campaigns about, like the King James Version or the, the literal nature of the Bible, all of that is is one big issue and it's tied into this need to be right. And not just to be right, but to be perfectly right and perfectly right as much of the time as possible. I think to outsiders, this can look like a pride thing. Like, I need to be right because it makes me feel good. And I do think that there's an element of pridefulness in this, of course. But more than that, I think it's about fear. It's the fear of what if I'm wrong? Mm. And that's the fear that that fundies cannot deal with. So everything has to be black and white. It has to be the Bible is 100% literal. It has to be heaven and hell. And everybody goes to one of the two. And this is exactly how you get saved and avoid hell. And there's no exceptions for anybody who never has an opportunity to get saved. Sorry, no exceptions. It's black and white. It's this one thing. Pants on women are wrong. Black and white. It's this one thing. So I think it. I think they cannot cope mentally with the fear of what if I'm wrong and that it's led to this entire system of belief and, and young earth creationism and teachings on the flood are just one arm of this omni belief system. You know what the nuttiest thing about all of this is? There are a lot of nutty things about this, but I'm curious what you're going to say. We're only like 40 minutes into the video, dude. Okay. So (laughs) I have a feeling that we are not going to get through everything that he talks about. No. Oh, no. I mean, if we wanted to do a full analysis of this Kent Hovind video, we absolutely could, but it would probably take us about three months worth of episodes to do like one part of his seminar. Like this is like part three of seven or something from his his seven part seminar. And we talked about 40 minutes of it. It's two and a half hours long. Did you notice that part seven is there are seven parts to part seven and each one of them is about an hour long? No, I did not see. Oh, (laughs) Yeah. God. So there's like 20 hours of information and we've gone through 40 minutes. Man, as a content creator, I have to say respect. Yeah. But as somebody with a brain, I have to say, Jesus Christ, dude, you need to stop. <laughs> yeah. This is, I mean, this is the kind of thing, though. It does give me like limited series 
spinoff ideas. And um, if you think this is either a fantastic idea or a terrible idea, you have my socials. Let me know. Go on the podcast Facebook group or subreddit and tell me what you think. But like a run of eight or 12 episodes that are not part of our usual weekly episodes, but like come out on a different day or even under a different podcast name with the two of us. Like we did with First Family of Fundamentalism. Right. Like like separate mini series that intensely study like, I don't know, creationism or the rapture or doctrines of salvation. Um, if you think that that's amazing or terrible, let me know. Because like this is the kind of thing that really makes me want to get into deeper research like as a as like an optional thing for people who are super interested in that particular topic. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. So because we're obviously not going to get through this whole thing, do you want to like run us through maybe a few highlights from the video that we sure. didn't get to? Yeah. The, the thing that I was hoping we'd get some time to discuss is the rapid fire slideshow of supposed dinosaurs, or should I say dragons, that have washed up on the shore of random places or been dragged up by fishermen over the last hundred years or so. God, I forgot about that. Yeah. So he gets like pretty into Nessie to kick that off. Right? Yes. Yeah. So Loch Ness Monster, we already heard about this in the ACE episode. The Loch Ness Monster is real. Yeah. Real hiding in caves. Definitely real. And it's also a dinosaur. Well, it's a clan of dinosaurs, actually, that have been living and reproducing at the bottom of the lake for millennia since the flood because there are caves, like, there are caves that go off the lake that, like, go upwards. So there are caves with air in them, and that's how they mm. come up to breathe when they don't come up to the surface of the lake. So I just want to point out the implications of this conspiracy theory. The conspiracy theory is that the implication is that scientists are hiding the dinosaurs from us. And have lied about fossil records in order to make up a theory in order to prove that Christians are wrong? To what yeah. end? Like, what is their motivation? Are they all possessed by Satan? Or is this like some New World Order conspiracy? Oh, wait! Ho hold up, hold up, hold up. I forgot to talk about... <laughs> In in he talks about the new world order as part of his talk. He says that public schools are part of the new world order because they're teaching kids that dinosaurs are millions and millions of years old. So remember how I said that creationists think that atheism didn't really exist large scale before evolution came around, and that most atheists are atheists because of evolution, and that a belief in evolution will naturally lead a person to atheism. Yeah. That that thing. Um, basically, they're not all demon possessed, but they're all being fooled by Satan. So evolution was like Satan's greatest invention ever. And it's led more people away from God than anything else. So the atheists who are confused by the devil want everybody not to believe in God because they're evil. And all evolutionists are atheists. So, of course, the evil, evil atheist evolutionists want people to not find out about Nessie. Because if people found out about Nessie, they'd have to believe in Jesus then. <laughs> and also, just a note, the New World Order ideas and conspiracy theories are so common in fundamentalism and in IFB preaching that it makes me want to call them part of the religion. And I feel like I would need to maybe do some more research before I could make that statement. Like, it is a part of modern fundamentalism. Uh, so I'm not going to definitively put my foot down on that at this time. But... I know that so many of their beliefs are based on that kind of idea. It's like it's so common that I didn't really even notice that he said it when I watched the video because like that's just a normal thing for an IFB preacher to say. It's just too weird, man. Like yeah. as as a Jewish man, if I hear somebody talking about the New World Order, I'm just like I'm not talking to that person because they're probably super anti-Semitic. They probably like 
believe in the international Jewish conspiracy as well. Like, because that's all tied in with that. Right. See, the Baptists believe in the New World Order, but it's the international Catholic conspiracy and or the devil Mm. just controlling people. Um, Unless they're NIFB, in which case it is a Jews. Um, But we talked about that. Yeah. So, but like I said, you know, Kent Hovind, he's the type of guy that's going to fall for an obvious deep fake. That's, that's very that's very true. Um, so after talking about Nessie, he goes through a very rapid fire slideshow of different pictures, and there are no references, uh, like I mentioned earlier. And we will get to this man's apparent hatred of referencing anything other than the Bible ever in the second part of this episode, and that's going to be fun. When we dissect his doctoral doctoral dissertation. <laughs> But none of these pictures, they don't tell you where to look them up or how they were authenticated. Um, One of these pictures, two of them I recognized. One is of a young boy playing in a huge dinosaur track. And that one is associated with the Paluxy River tracks, which we talked about in our interview with David Jones. Mm. Oh, yeah. Probably a fake. Another one of them is the famous basking shark picture that was taken by a Japanese fishing boat in the 70s. This image, by the way, was included in an ACE science book. In the same book that talked about Nessie, it's an image of an extremely decomposed animal, and part of that carcass looks like a long neck. So people thought that it was a dinosaur. It turns out that one of the fishermen took a tissue sample, and it was later analyzed and found to be consistent with a shark, so that picture is definitely not a dinosaur. Uh, But Hoven doesn't know that because he hates sources, apparently. (laughs) What Hoven says about these images is along the lines of, well, it could be a shark, but it also could be a dinosaur. And he makes no mention of the fact that it's been proven scientifically not to be a dinosaur. I I don't think he knows that. But also, what if he does know that and he's just saying whatever the hell he wants? Well, that would be highly dishonest of him, almost as if he were the type of man who would commit other crimes like tax fraud. (laughs) (laughs) You know, that would be really wild. That would be really wild if this guy just casually traveled around the country spouting bad information with a fake doctorate degree. Hey, and don't all don't the while spoil. Was... Don't spoil anything. This is like, this is not even half of his stuff. This is, tune <laughs> this in is next like... week. Yeah. <laughs> mm. Yeah. So um, that that is like, that is, I don't even consider that a spoiler because there's so much more. Mm-hmm. But uh, we're going to have to wait, I guess, till next episode because uh, I got to go put Chuck down for a nap. And I guess we're just going to have fun next week. Yeah, there is just so much to get here. Uh, you will just have to wait to get into it. Uh, it's it's, it's going to really be fun. Weird. It's hilarious. It's unbelievable. It's fully believable that it, actually. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, we'll, we'll, we'll talk to you more about this guy next week. Yeah. Okay, so right. uh, if you like our show, if you want to follow our show, if you want to uh, support our show, you can join our Patreon, which is patreon.com slash Podcast, and you will get an extended version, an uncensored version of this episode, as well as other episodes. If you like our show, uh, you can join our Facebook group, which is facebook.com slash groups slash Exodus. You can join our uh subreddit which is subreddit dot it's reddit.com slash r slash eden exodus you can follow us on facebook instagram and twitter facebook and instagram it is at leaving eden podcast twitter it is at leaving eden pod 
uh, send us your emails, leavingedenpod at gmail.com. Sadie, do you want to plug your social media? Yeah, you can follow me on Instagram at Sadie Carpenter Music. You can follow me on Twitter at Hell Yeah Sadie. And you can follow me on TikTok at Sadie Carpenter One. And you can follow me on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and Clubhouse at G-A-V-R-I-E-L-H-A-C-O-H-E-N. Thank you so much. You guys have a great day. Bye-bye. But old rolling river of time Healed me in too many days No regrets, no confusion There'll be no pollution I'm so thankful I've decided To change my ways I'm so thankful Decided to change my ways. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.